Well, to, to start, we'll give you a little introduction, but I, I want to share a, a scripture passage that, that's particularly important to both you And it says it's Proverbs 3 5. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on, on, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, when, when, when Gary had asked us, Gary Smith had asked us if we would consider giving a witness talk in first meeting, and I said, we don't have any stories to tell. And, but we told him we'd pray that and think about it, and the more we reflected and prayed, we realized that maybe in some ways it's not our stories, but it's what God has done, you know, in some powerful, powerful ways. Uh, I gotta say, you know, that passage that I just read, Proverbs 3, 5, I wish I could say that we always lived it. Um, uh, but, but I will say that those, I guess what we're here to talk about is those times where we have, it's amazing what God has done. And so um, we just feel very honored and privileged to, to share our story with you and hopefully we'll be blessed by it. Um, let me give you a little bit of background to give you a little bit of our background so we're going to get to the music, what we want to talk about. Um, so my, my upbringing uh, come, come from a, a loud Italian and Catholic household, um, and probably in that order too. Uh, it was pretty loud walking down the, the street of Scafidi's house. Uh, uh, my, my mom's role, you know, in terms of our, my faith formation, her, her role was to make sure that we got to Mass, uh, to take us to CCD. Um, my dad's role was to make sure that we went to Mass with my mother. Because um, he didn't go, but he eventually started going. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I would say that I had a pretty powerful experience as a teenager, uh, a, a retreat that my mom kind of forced me to go on, uh, but then really drifted away. And, and it really, it wasn't until I was in the college age years, I actually left the Catholic Church, and, and I started working at a, a, a Protestant Christian camp. Um, and, and that's where I really started to grow in, in my faith life, and, and just started to see that God mattered in every other part of my life. Chris's family was a loud Italian Catholic family. Mine was not. It was much more like the Brady Bunch. That's how I get to our family. You remember Carol and Bob? What was his name? Greg. Bob. Bob. Brady Bunch. Um, so we were a lot like them. I wanted us to be, actually. Um, what was different, they were, you remember the three from one previous marriage and three from the other previous marriage, and they all came together. We actually, my parents, when they came together, um, had two more children, so it was yours, mine, and ours in our family. And um, otherwise, we were just like the Brady Bunch. If, of course, they had not been widowed, but actually divorced, and actually, um, it would have been a lot more like the Brady Bunch if my mom had Alice, and she could just walk around all day smiling and being real sweet to all of us. <laughs> and instead, my mom, like many women in the 70s, worked um, always out of the home, and so when she got home, she was exhausted, and we would have been more like the Brady Bunch if my father hadn't been an alcoholic, and if we fought a lot less at home. I think by the time I was seven or eight, I was pretty sure my parents would be divorced, and actually they were divorced when I was 14. They threw in the towel there on that marriage, and um, that made my high school years pretty messy, with a lot more accusations of infidelity and promises broken, and um, I knew that I was going to need to get out of Colorado where I was raised and start over and happily God had the same idea. So as 
supervisors uh, that, that uh, people in the oversaw us were this evangelical Christian couple, Ron and Joyce Rothschaefer. And, and I gotta say, my, my mindset before going through the sacraments and couldn't wait to like complete a confirmation because that meant I graduated um, and I didn't have to go to Mass anymore. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like there was a real separation between, you know, there's a time to be faithful, so you go to Mass, you go to CCD, and then there's the time to be worldly. Uh, the rest of the time. What I saw with Ron and Joyce was somewhat, you know, their faith permeated every single aspect of their life. Uh, they, they were, for me, a real visible vocation, uh, or visible picture of what the vocation of marriage was about. Um, you know, one of the first things, and, I, and so I also lived at a camp with these people, so it wasn't that they just put on the front, I mean, I was with them every day. Um, and, and they didn't fight. That was the first thing that struck me. You know, and I just wasn't used to that. You know, a couple not fighting. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Or, you know, they didn't yell at each other. They didn't put each other down. Um, the other, other thing that struck me was their kids didn't fight. Okay. Their kids didn't fight. I mean, in my family, and still in my family sometimes, uh, they, you know, just used to a lot of fighting. And in, in this family, they didn't fight. You know, they, 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 it wasn't that they didn't have conflict, but there was a way to resolve it. Um, I saw with Ron and Joyce, their family came first before their careers. Uh, I saw with, uh, you know, one of the things that I remember Brian, one of their kids, was being picked on in school. And we're in my background, you know, Italian tough background, you know, if someone's picking on you, you get the first punch. Okay? What Ron was teaching his son Brian was, you know, you want to avoid fights. You don't, want to, you, you don't want to turn to the chief and, and find ways for his son to get out of fights. And I, I again, just, I was shocked by that. I was always asking these people questions. Um, and we, I, we were, uh, because it was a camp on the beach, uh, there were at least a lot of women in bikinis. And I remember, you know, and, uh, the college boys would always complain about you know, how hard it was to be pure and all this. And, uh, but Ron would take his glasses off. And he was walking down the beach, you know, and I just thought, gosh, this guy's nuts, you know, in terms of his, <laughs> his, his commitment to his wife and to his family. Um, they prayed about everything. They prayed about everything. Uh, and, and that was a shock. So what I saw with them is their marriage was a ministry, okay? And, and they, they did mentor us, they did teach us, but more than anything else, they modeled for us. And, and it gave me a picture for the first time this is what I want. Uh, it, so one, they gave me a picture of what it is to, to follow Christ. Uh, they gave me, gave me a picture of what a husband should be. They gave me a picture of what a dad should be. Uh, Joyce gave me a picture, you know, of what I would love in a wife. Uh, and, and, you know, they, so they had a pretty strong impact. And part of it increased my desire to really want to take this Christian faith seriously. That there was, and, and there was a peace that they had um, so what I chose to do is I, I chose to um, uh, enroll at a Protestant seminary. And so I went to seminary, and uh, I'll tell you what we So one great thing my parents did um, really right all those years is they made sure that we were in church, and they took us to a Protestant little Bible church. And my sister and I, even when they weren't going, they wanted us to be there, and they would drive. My dad would take us there to Sunday school. And they wanted us to know that in all the chaos in our life, God was there, and particularly Jesus would be there for us. If we were lonely, he was 
the answer. Um, if things seem crazy, God would be solid. And I believed that. I trusted that. And I, um, when I went to California to go to university, I went really wanting to start over on this whole Christian thing and be, be someone new and someone fresh. And I knew two things about marriage. One, um, well, maybe three. I wanted to be married at that point. Um, I wanted to find somebody who would love God more than he loved me because I really believed that would be the only hope because my third truth in my, my worldview was that really a good marriage was very rare and most people probably didn't have them. Once you got behind closed doors, I bet most people fought a lot like my parents. I'd seen enough, um, but that's really what I believed. I didn't have anybody like the Rod Shapers that I had looked up close and around. So I didn't have a lot of hope for a good, happy marriage, but I thought if I would ever find one, it would need to be a guy a lot in God and really was serious. So when I met Chris after college, he was working at that time with youth group, uh, junior hires in the church we both attended, and he was on his way to go to seminary and um, get a master's degree, like spend all this money across the country to get a job that would pay no money. And I thought, that made no sense. But I kind of was intrigued by somebody who would follow God when it made no sense. So I right away um, we started getting to know each other. We had six weeks from the day we met until he had to leave to go back east to seminary. And we spent a lot of time together with friends and alone and talking, 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 talking. And when it was finally time um, for him to leave, I thought he should know, since we were getting more serious, that if we were going to pursue this, if I ever decided to get married to anyone, I definitely didn't want any children. And I needed him to know that. I, I loved children. He didn't really believe in that. Like, I was teaching school at the time. And I love children, but because I loved him so much, I just thought it was too big a risk to bring kids into a family that would have a 50-50 chance of even making it, I thought. And um, and at that, I didn't want to have these innocent little lives full of hope in my hands to be so fragile, you know, so um, sinful with, and, and screw them up. And so I didn't want to take that risk with any of lives, and I wanted to let Chris know that. But he did not run away, as I thought he might, and instead we dated over the phone and through snail mail before we knew that term, um, for the next year while he was in seminary. So one of the things that I surprised me, uh, and it was kind of surprised me too, I, I, once I went out there, I started thinking about where I was in ministry, um, and I thought, well, maybe you know, it was going to be with youth. Uh, very interesting, because I had been in fact as a young man. Um, and I thought, maybe I could go back into the Catholic Church just to kind of Help, help straighten it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of a little, little arrogance there. And, uh, and, and so, I, my, and I think one of my academic advisors sensed it a little bit, and he was an Episcopal priest who, uh, he was an evangelical Episcopal priest, and probably a Catholic, a closet Catholic himself. Uh, but he says, let me connect you with some Catholics. You know, so as you start to think about it, I said, sure. So he connected me with a gentleman by the name of Tom Howard, who was a, uh, I guess, a fairly well-known Christian author, an evangelical author, who had converted to the Catholic Church. And so, spent a lot of time with Tom, just asking him questions, and I came to discover that he wasn't just going back in the Catholic Church to help out poor Catholics. He was going in because he felt like he needed to, and, you know, which is kind of scary for me. And, uh, the more that I spent time with Tom, he actually had me come to a, uh, he was speaking at a conference in New Hampshire, and he was speaking with um, some other, some other um, 
who we all know among speakers, um, Scott Hahn, Peter Craig, and Kimberly Hahn. I didn't know them at the time. Um, but he introduced me to him. Um, Scott Hahn found out that I was going to the same seminary that he went to, the same Protestant seminary, and said, oh, I, I want to start giving you, you know, I've got a lot of tapes that I can give you. I like a lot of books, a lot of literature. And I, I you know, so I was really, Appreciated his, his kindness, but when I got back to seminary, I was bombarded with all of this literature. And, and, and it, there were these tapes that really addressed a lot of these hot button issues, issues that are difficult for um, evangelical Christians. And Scott was addressing them. So, what we would do is I'd take his cassettes and I'd pull, pull, pull together a group of seminarians and we'd try to pick, his, pick, you know, pick it apart. And how can we pick apart his, his logic? But the more that we listen to the logic, made sense. It really started to have an impact on me, particularly for me, you know, uh, having grown up Catholic. Um, I, I started, uh, I changed my major from, which is a focus on youth ministry, to a focus on early church history. And, you know, part of the reason I just want to see, gosh, how Catholic was the early church? You know, and <clears throat> the more I studied it, it's like, oh, it was pretty Catholic. You know, I, <laughs> it's hard to, excuse me, hard to argue that. And, and, and the more I went through that, it, there was this realization that, gosh, maybe the, the church doesn't need me. Maybe, maybe I need the church. And so I had to share that with Dee gently. <laughs> I call it the big baking switch. <laughs> Sacramento. 
much more than a contract, much more than a promise that two people are going to make to each other till death do us part. But on that altar, when they said, I do, it would be a covenant between a man and a woman and God. It would be a three-way covenant. And all three of them would be pledging till death do us part. And to me, that was, that was a game changer. If on your team in this marriage, you have the best player possible rooting for you, holding you together, and he was pledging till death do him part to keep you together, I knew how fragile I could be. I knew how weak most men would be. Sorry. <laughs> but I knew God would be who I could count on. And he would hold himself, he would promise himself to be the glue to hold any marriage together. So if that was the case, I was ready to move ahead, and I did, and I moved to Massachusetts and became a man for a while so that Chris and I could live in the same vicinity. And not long after I got out there, um, Mr. I'm a Catholic now, started hanging out with all these priests at the seminary, um, the Catholic seminary now. And I saw the writing on the wall, and I was pretty sure God was calling him into the priesthood, and that's how God would be, right? Because somebody this great should be a priest. And I thought, wow, I can't fight with God about this. And I remember during that Lent, I would sit and pray in my room, and there was this outside my window, this big dead tree in the middle of winter, and there was this lone leaf hanging on this branch outside my window. And as I was praying, I knew that I was that leaf, and I was holding on desperately to what I wanted with Chris. I was all in now. We're going to get married and have children, and this was going to be great, and now God wanted to take him away from me. And God just said, hey, you've got to let him go and give him to me. And you've got to trust me. And I thought, I'll just be like that dead, barren tree if I let him go. And God will just whisper to me every morning, trust me. If it's good for Chris, it'll be good for you. Trust me. Let him go. And uh, it was a pretty powerful time. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was a very hard time. Like, like he shared, uh, I, because I had switched to church history, um, uh, the seminary that I was at didn't have a real focus on the history of the early church, so I was, because we were connected to other seminaries that I went to, was taking my, those classes at a Catholic seminary, and I just was shocked by all of these young men in college getting ready to be priests. And, and, and just their, it, it was very intrigued by their willingness to give their lives. And I remember talking to these guys like, really want to do this? You know, I mean, we'd have lunch together, and, and, you know, I was just trying to, you know, did you ever want to have kids? And, you know, one guy's like, oh, yeah, I want to have ten kids. Like, but, but I feel like God is calling me. They would say, I feel like God is calling me. And so it, it made me start to ask the question, would I be willing to do that? Um, and, and that was a, and, and it wasn't, I would say now, you know, it wasn't like I, that was where my passions were, but it was, well, it was I, kind of was you sanctioning was she willing to let go? Was I willing to let go? Was I willing to do what God wanted me to do? Um, and, and that was, I remember that Lenten season and, and, and how hard that was. Uh, and and a, lot of, a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in reflection, really asking for God's wisdom. And um, one of the, uh, I also you know, spent time talking with different priests. And one priest in particular, uh, Father Skip, I remember him telling me, he's like, Chris, you know, also pay attention to your passions and pay attention to your dreams and, and God, because God speaks through those. And, and then I thought about, you know, my, my exposure to the Rothschaper family and the picture that they gave me for marriage and you know, what marriage could be one day uh, and the impact that that, that vocation could have. 
pretty seriously. It was, it was actually over at this Catholic seminary, but I was in the library by myself and just praying. And I just had this picture of myself as I was praying, um, and I was teaching um, uh, teaching as a layperson. I was in a tie, and I was actually teaching in an all-boys school. And, and, and the picture just came to me, and I just got the sense that, oh, I think, I think, you know, I, I, God wants me to be married. And, and, and I think that's what I, I know that's what I want. And, uh, <laughs> And, and, and so, uh, so I, uh, you know, make a long story short, I remember on my way to by the, by the ring, I stopped off in the uh, Adoration Chapel and prayed. He's like, okay, God, I'm going to do this, so you better stop me now. <laughs> and uh, you didn't stop me, and so I went and got the ring, but, uh, and so I asked you to marry me. So that season, um, when we were finally engaged, you know, it was like, I think we really wanted to get married on our first date, and it was three years later that he asked me, and I think what that taught me was that Chris was the guy who would put what he wanted behind what God wanted, and that gave me great confidence in where we were moving with this. So um, we decided with, we were going to get married in four months, so we didn't have a lot of time, so we put RCIA and me becoming a Catholic after we were married, we thought, we'll wait and take that next. So, but we did seek a lot of counsel during that time from other Christian couples, and I remember one guy who loved that we were both becoming Catholic, he wasn't Catholic himself, but he said to us, no, you'll have to decide what kind of Catholics you're going to be. Um, you know, are you going to do this whole have ten kids thing, or are you going to be reasonable? Which <laughs> and I got a little feistier and a little mouthier 
and suddenly I was sounding less like Joyce and more like my mother. And um, I remember Chris looking at me once in the middle of a quite heated discussion and saying, we don't fight like this. And I said, we do now. <laughs>
And so we come together and we have to think about that and pray about that and make that choice. And that went on for good um, most of that year. And I was in RCIA and then on Easter Vigil in 1995, I was received into the church. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful um, season for us, that Easter season. And we both just knew that, you know what, it's time to throw away the thermometer and let God just, you know, bring a baby if he would bring a baby. And we didn't know what was going to happen. Crystal didn't have a job that hadn't changed. He started applying for jobs, and, you know, we had this dream that God was going to answer him right away with this. But, um, yeah, Christian, tell him Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I think just figured we're, we're done, uh, done with school. That's my thesis. Um, and, um, you know, we figured, okay, well, we'll probably get, how do we get here, get pregnant within a year? Well, we got pregnant within a month. And I freaked out, you know. <laughs> Uh, because I, not only was I, I was I not employed, uh, but that summer I, we already made commitments. We were basically volunteering uh, at a youth camp, so not a lot of money there. And, and I remember going, uh, you know, we had taken a, a week off and we were going to my, my friend's house. We were in California now working at this camp. And I spent probably three hours in, in prayer. But the, the way I did my prayers, a lot of times I just tighten out. Okay, God, you said to trust you. We've been doing it. We've got the kid on the way. Uh, and I remember just kind of pouring out my heart, pouring out my tears to God, um, and and just and just putting it in His hands and just trusting. And it was either the day I can't remember it was the day later or the next day I got a call from um, St. John's Prep Seminary, all boys school, interestingly enough, and uh, and they I had a, a interview over the phone. Uh, and they hired me over the phone. I was the first person in perhaps 100-year history to be hired over the phone. Uh, and so, uh, you know, God had provided. Um, and, and, you know, if we had listened to conventional wisdom, um, well, we would have missed an opportunity to be blessed with our wonderful son, Mark. You know, and God provided. We got, the, we got the job that we needed to the job where I was to do with my ministry. And after that, you know, we went back to Massachusetts so invigorated to know God was going to take care of us. And it was exciting. We had babies and babies and babies. And for 10 years, I swear, I was in nursing or pregnant. And I know some of you women in this room know what I mean. Um, and I'll tell you that when you go look for a job, they always give you a listing of all the skill sets you should have and you decide whether you should apply for that job or not. But they did not do that before I started having babies and staying home for my career. And um, had they done that, I would have known that I had none of those skill sets really to make this work. And I feel like the next five to seven years, it was like my inadequacies kept being thrown in my face on a daily basis. Keeping the house clean, getting dinners made, supporting Chris when he came home, being nice to children 24 hours a day. It was much harder than I ever anticipated. And you mix in that a lot of the postpartum hormones that were going on and um, frustration and irritability. And um, when I go into sort of a depression, it's not like I can't get out of bed in the morning. I get out of bed and somebody's going to pay for it.
what? He just didn't understand how hard everything was. And he was my scapegoat to blame everything on. And pretty soon, the unthinkable happened. Chris asked me to go to marriage counseling. And I say unthinkable because I thought this was the woman's job when things were bad and that men wouldn't go. And here Chris was asking me, and I didn't want to go. But I couldn't be like those lousy men, and so I said I would go. tell Chris that he was the problem in our marriage, and he didn't have anything to complain about. So, yeah. <laughs> well, the only reason I wanted to go to counseling is so someone should show that I was right. Blessing each other. Uh, 
as we continue to go through life and life's challenges uh, with career and other you know, financial difficulties sometimes, the unity that we've had uh, and the support has been just phenomenal. Um, the, probably one of the last things I want to share with you, and this is part of our relying on God, is a very powerful passage that, that I've, uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture that's served me for years. Um, and, it's, and it's this. It's in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25 and the following verses. And Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear, what you will drink, you know, and it goes on. And it's probably familiar with the passage. But then he says, But first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So seek first. Seek first. And and, and for me, I remember early on, you know, part of that seat first meant even almost chronologically in my day, am I starting off my day in prayer? You know, am I going to God first in the morning? And, and, and asking, and that was a habit that we started. And then I, then I, and, and, and I think both of us, uh, uh, but I like to use the old father as a complement in prayer. You know, starting with, you know, uh, you know, and our father in by that, thank you, God, I praise you. Um, thy will be done. And so I'm asking, gosh, Lord, help me. May your will be done in my marriage. May your will be done in my parenting. May your will be done in my career. When I'm saying, give us this day, I'm thinking of the prayer needs of, of my kids. I'm thinking of these prayer needs. I'm thinking of our extended, extended family's prayer needs, our friends, our community, challenges that we're facing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to God and asking for forgiveness for those every single day when I'm screwing up. And then, God's protection from evil. And this is really, I feel, this is just foundational for lives. So, you know, we've only been married 19 years, and, you know, probably, that's, I was thinking maybe a third of what we get to be married, Lord willing. So, we are just heading into that future. This story, of course, way more stories than we can tell you about job changes and difficulties. And what we've noticed is it's always that moment when we get to choose whether to be anxious or whether to trust. And we've turned over and over to the seek ye first and don't be worried in Philippians 4 to um, the also that says um, be anxious for nothing, but in everything give thanks and let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds. And that is like our little user manual for life and for anxiety. And every day I get an opportunity to decide this. So as we move together as married couples into the future, um, may we all remember that never do we have to worry and be anxious. Every single moment we can choose. One of my favorite verses from Isaiah 